All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 16th day of June 2020. Uh, I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. And I want to invite you to continue sending along your comments, whatever they may be, positive, negative, neutral, whatever. Send them along to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questions the number four, taylor at gmail.com. And, of course, we want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Sponsors for today, RN Resources, Great Bear Resources, Benchmark Metals, Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, and Sitka Gold Corp. And I'm happy to tell you that one of those sponsors uh, will be hearing from Chris Taylor of Great Bear Resources uh, in the second segment of today's show. Before I talk more about today's show, let me remind you that I, along with Eric Coffin and Gwen Preston, will be speaking at the next Virtual Metals Investor Forum, which you can sign up for online. Go to uh, jtaylormedia.com, jaytaylormedia.com, and click on the Metals Investor Forum banner on the right towards the top of the page. All you need to do is give your name and email address, and you can gain access to this virtual program. Uh, in my presentation on Thursday, starting at 12 noon Eastern Time, I will talk about how America got to the verge of financial collapse and why owning gold will most likely continue to provide some solace in an otherwise very dark day and future, it seems. We hope and pray not. But the way things are going now with the economy and with the strife in the country, it certainly is not one of the more pleasant times in our history. Uh, And so, well, we think there's a spiritual aspect to it as well. Uh, But uh, from an earthly point of view, owning real money, money that uh, can't be created out of thin air by politicians is a very wise thing to do. And that, of course, is a central theme of this show. I've titled today's show, Navigating Troubled Waters with David McElvaney. So David McElvaney will be with me in the second half of today's show. And Chris Taylor, president of Great Bear, uh, of Great Bear Resources will be with me, uh, as I mentioned just in the second segment. What are the underlying causes of the anger and destruction following the tragic death of George Floyd? Are there factors other than race involved? What can we do personally to build strong, positive relationships with neighbors who may have differing political views and in the process protect our communities against anarchy? What are, uh, what are, We are, it seems, seeing a V-shaped stock market recovery, but how long can that continue when the underlying economy is suffering what most certainly is a major recession, if not a depression? 
Do we face a danger of rising monetary velocity that leads to rising prices, even as unemployment uh, remains at historically high levels? In other words, stagflation akin to the 1970s, perhaps? What impact might rising prices have on stocks, bonds, commodities, and precious metals? Might Stephen Roach be right in predicting the dollar's demise and an end of reserve currency status? If so, what impact might that have on the markets? Those and other questions will be posed to uh, David McElvaney in the second half of today's show. Right after our first commercial break in just a few moments, uh, as I mentioned, I'll be talking to Chris Taylor. He's the president of Great Bear Resources. Chris will explain the unbelievable success that Great Bear is having in outlining the discovery of its world-class Dixie Gold project, Dixie Gold Deposit for certain, in the Red Lake District of Ontario. The company is putting out one great drill hole after another, it seems these days. Not only are infill drill holes establishing great uh, mineral continuity, uh, of that is gold mineralization, but the deposit is being expanded to depth and with some of the highest grades yet. Moreover, the company has not yet begun to define the limits of this discovery, which I believe will compare with some of the most significant Canadian gold discoveries in recent, de- recent decades. I am convinced there will be many more exciting gold discoveries. In fact, we're in the midst of some right now in my newsletter, companies that I cover uh, in my newsletter. But um, uh, the Great Bear Dixie deposits are far and few between. We picked uh, Great Bear up at 46 cents in January 2019. The stock hit $11 today, and there is no reason at this juncture to think it will not continue to rise given the ongoing expansion of the deposit and continuity of high-grade gold mineralization. By the way, given the exciting times in the junior gold space, I suggest that you do owe it to yourself to consider subscribing. I know it's self-serving, but I think you do owe it to yourself to consider subscribing uh, to my newsletter, uh, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks at miningstocks.com. Also, would, again, suggest you consider s- signing up for the vit- Virtual Metals Investor Forum that's going to be held uh, starting at 12 noon this uh, June 18th. That's this coming Thursday. Go to J. Taylor Media. J. Taylor Media. Uh, just simply give your name and address. Uh, s- click on the banner there. Give your name and address or name and email address. Uh, and you'll have access to this uh, program. There will be a lot of great company stories will be told there, uh, as well as the uh, the ideas that both Gwen Preston and Eric Coffin have, I think, that are very much worth uh, worth listening to as well. Well, we do have to go to commercial break now, but don't go away because we'll be right back with Chris Taylor of Great Bear Resources. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Chris Taylor back with us again. Those of you who have been listening to this show over the years, uh, over the last couple of years at least, are well aware of Chris Taylor and the amazing discovery that his company, uh, Great Bear Resources, is making. Uh, that is known as the Dixie Project up there in the Red Lake area of Ontario. Uh, it is really uh, great to have a success return, and uh, Chris certainly is... Uh, doing a great job he and his team he's quick to give credit to his team he has other great people working with him uh, chris's background as a geologist is as, as a structural geologist and certainly those skills have seemed to come in very handy with his company's success uh, great bear trades in toronto gbr you can buy it down here in the states as i have under the symbol gtbaf 49.2 million shares only and i saw earlier today selling at 14 dollars actually Traded up to $15 in Canadian money, at least briefly today. Uh, gives a, at $14.75, where I last saw it, it gives a market cap of around $725 million in Canadian money. Thanks for joining me again, Chris. Great to speak with you again, Jay. It's always good to have you with us, um, for sure, with uh, all the success you're having. Uh, Chris, before we get started, I do want to tell my listeners uh, who may wish to delve a little deeper than we're able to go to Go, go into through this very limited time that we have, uh, that uh, your company, Great Bear and Silvercrest Metals, are going to be putting on a virtual event on June 18th. I think it starts at 4.30 New York time. Uh, and I want to tell my listeners that they can go and sign up for that by going to jtaylormedia, jaytaylormedia.com. Go there and click on a story at the top of the website, Two Great Gold and Silver Discovery Stories. Uh, and then uh, read more, click on the read more, and then sign up for that, Chris. And I, I don't know if you want to just talk, uh, give us 30 seconds to talk about that event. Yeah, thanks, Jay. Uh, you know, Chris and I, uh, from Chris from Silvercrest, the other Chris, uh, we'll uh-huh. be talking about uh, some, some important metrics in the current metals investment market, some of our personal experiences. Uh, it should be a good general discussion, certainly not something where we'll just talk about our own companies. It should be broadly applicable. So, um Silvercrest is the other uh, leading, or one of the other leading exploration companies that have made excellent discoveries and made their shareholders a lot of money. So uh, we thought it would be a little bit more informative than just Chris and I getting into a boxing ring together and seeing who has uh, the, the best hands. So this should be more informative for the viewership and or, or listenership in general. <laughs> well, I know both of you, uh, both of both of you, Chris's and. Both of you are, are not the, um, the kind of duke-it-out types, but uh, very fair and complimentary towards others when it's, when it's due, that's for sure. Um, Chris, your story has really kicked it up a notch or two. I mean, you just keep on one great drill intercept after another. It keeps hitting the market. Uh, you've had some of the highest grades yet recently, and you've, the deepest hole yet. Uh, intersected, went through the LP zone all the way over into your other more traditional Dixie hinge, Dixie limb zones. It's just amazing. But I'm wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about your program this year, what the objectives are, and then talk about what you've learned so far through this drill program. Yeah, thank you, Jay. Uh, Effectively, with the size of target that we're dealing with, 
uh, it takes hundreds and hundreds of drill holes to be able to define something uh, this big. And that's principally because uh, the target that we have, we've got drill holes into it for over 11 kilometers. Now, that it's a huge number. If you think that the average gold zone in the world is uh, 100 meters or less, maybe a couple hundred meters long, you're dealing with something which is like more than an order of magnitude larger. So what that means is that the hundreds of drill holes that we're applying this year, I believe in 2020 we have another 185 drill holes that will be completed by year end. That's just to give us a basic sampling of the shallow surface along about five kilometers strike length of this target. And that should give us a pretty good idea of the grade distribution, the size, and the physical dimensions off the middle of the system. Of course, it goes nowhere near testing all the various zones on the project or expanding down to the reasonable depths. Um, most of our neighbors have mined down uh, to a kilometer and a half to two and a half kilometers depth on the major deposit. So I would expect ours to also go a lot deeper, but this initial look in 2020 is going to be a panel of drill holes between surface and about 500 meters uh, along about five kilometers of strike length. Yeah, and uh, Chris, you have two different kinds of mineralization there. You have the traditional uh, narrow vein high grade that has been known in uh, in the Red Lake District. It's a, it was a company maker for Gold Corp essentially. But these are marvelous deposits. This is the first thing that you discovered there. And then you came up on this LP uh, zone, this LP fault zone, a real wide, uh, more high grade disseminated deposit that you are making some uh, comparisons. I, I've heard you do it uh, several times in the past to the Great Hemlogold deposit discovered in Ontario in the late 1980s. I remember it very well. Uh, can you talk, perhaps to the extent you're able to at this stage, compare the grades and dimensions of your LP, LP fault deposit with that of, uh, uh, with that of, the, uh, of the Hemlo? Yeah, thanks, Jay. Uh, this is Hemlo is the closest geological analog to what we found at the LP fault. In Hemlo, uh, it is a monster of a deposit. It's one of the largest ones in the province of Ontario. It's produced over 23 million ounces of gold so far. It's still in production under the stewardship of Barrick, uh, the big giant gold company. Um, Hemlo is effectively 90% of the gold that they've produced is from about two and a half kilometers of strike length. And the average width in grade would be about eight meters of about eight and a half grams per ton. So uh, about uh, if you multiply them both, you get a number product of about 60 gram meters, 65 gram meters. So you have a big blob of mineralization that tends to be very continuous along that two, uh, two and a half kilometers strike length. What we have at the LP fault at the Dixie Project with Great Bear is hosted by the same type of rocks but the physical footprint of mineralization that we've drilled off already is larger uh, than what you see at Hemlo. I can't tell you right now, Jay, that we have 20 million ounces of gold. Nobody knows yet how much gold we have. But the point being, if you have to make an apples-to-apples -apples comparison, you're comparing at least five kilometers of strike length off this core of the system within an 11-kilometer gold system at the Dixie Project versus that sort of two and a half kilometers long that hosted over 20 million ounces at Hemlo. So as we drill and begin to build up a high definition view of what we have at the LP fault, you have to compare if Hemlo was an average of about eight and a half, uh, eight to eight and a half meters wide of about eight grams. Some of the really good mineralization that we've just drilled recently, um, you know, I'll just quote a highlight hole, like 
30 grams per ton gold over 12 and a half meters or 30 grams per ton gold over 20 meters within a wider interval of 15 grams per ton gold over 45 meters and projected mm. right to surface. So, I mean, like, it's very exciting. The, the numbers that we're generating right now uh, in terms of some of the higher-grade subzones along the LP fault are comparable to that really high-grade uh, it was called the high-grade zone discovery at the Red Lake Gold Mine, and that made Gold Corp into a mm-hmm. multi-billion-dollar company under the stewardship of our shareholder, Rob McEwen. Um, mm-hmm. He found this high-grade zone at a kilometer vertical depth. There was basically nothing from surface down to about 800 meters depth, and then they found this very high-grade mineralization, very similar to what we just drilled at surface on the yeah. project. So I think the market is beginning to understand the significance of having as much high-grade gold as what we've just found, but going right to surface. If in the past, these types of discoveries have made big deposits and company-making deposits, I think the market's beginning to understand that Great Bear certainly has that potential at Dixie. No, well, I think uh, it certainly would seem to. Now, uh, Chris, what I would really like to know uh, I know you're doing a lot of infill drilling, and you're focused on that five-kilometer stretch there. That of, I think you identified 11 kilometers. But right now, for the sake of uh, of, of establishing a resource and starting to um, get some sense of the economics of this thing, you're you're doing work on on that five kilometers. When do you think you might have uh, your first maiden resource from this uh, from this section? I would imagine, Jay, that it will be sometime during next year. And I don't know the exact time yet. The The major impediment that we have is just sheer size. It takes hundreds yeah. and hundreds of drill holes to drill off something this big. The other one is that we keep finding more gold. And every time that you find a new zone or something else, you want to take the drill rig and dedicate some additional drilling to that to figure out what it is. And that means the more zones we find, the bigger it gets, the longer it takes to put together that initial resource. What we do do, however, which almost nobody does in the industry, is every drill hole into the LP fault is published freely online by Great Bear. The locations of the holes and all the highlighted intervals can be downloaded off of our website, and anybody in the world can figure out uh, if they can do their own calculations how much gold we might have. Now, we do that because on a discovery like this, your best friend is really complete transparency. You want the market to see the deposit as you do, and you want them to be able to run their own back-of-the-envelope math on it themselves. And for us, I think that's where I see a lot of traction forming with the company is the various bank analysts and mining researchers and other analysts in the world are all doing these sort of calculations at Great Bear, and they're coming up already with estimates sort of in the 5 to 10 million ounce range if you read all these independent reports, and they think the upside uh, could be even greater than that, which is absolutely phenomenal for this LP zone. It didn't even exist until a year ago when we put the first holes into it. And already they're seeing this potential for these very big deposits to be forming there. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a temptation for some companies that don't have the kind of lateral extension and consistency that you have there to uh, just maybe focus on one vertical drill hole that's, uh, that's magnificent, but uh, it doesn't always work out that those kind of uh, events are or those kind of discoveries are economic. So what is so impressive mm-hmm. here, Chris, is a, it's a continuity that you're seeing along that Dixie, uh, along that LP fault. I want to ask you about the Dixie limb and Dixie hinge zones then too. I mean, uh, I mean, th- that is, those are 
pretty significant discoveries in their own right. What are what are your what is the thinking of the company in the future with regard to those? Well, that's a great point, Jay. Um, it's one of these things where I think even without the LP fault discovery, the really big one that's like Hemlo, we still would have had a nice high-grade Red Lake-style high-grade vein system uh, in the Dixie Lynn and the Hinge. And there's a whole bunch of targets like that across the project that we haven't had a chance to explore yet. But I assume that there's good exploration upside there as well. So you would have been looking at something comparable to some of our neighbors. I mean, for instance, one of the one of the companies nearby is Pure Gold Mining. They've got, yes. I think it's about a million and a half ounce reserve in the ground. So that 1.5 million ounces, I think, is getting them a market cap of about half a billion dollars. They're further down the road in terms of actually building a mine than we are. But it shows you that on a per ounce basis, I mean, their ounces of gold in the ground are worth something like about $300 an ounce. So mm-hmm. I think that the Dixie Lim and the Hinge Zone, these Red Lake style zones that we have right beside the other one, are going to add significant value, especially over the long term. Like, should our project go through mine development and production and all this, these zones are so close together, they're very likely to be all developed uh, within the same mine plan. And being able to add consistently high-grade mineralization from these satellite Red Lake-style zones, it's all compatible. It looks like the same sort of, uh, you know, visible gold, uh, free gold in the rock uh, in all the various zones. They should all be compatible. My background is mining. I'm just making an opinion statement here. But they look to be the same mineralization. I think it would all process together, and I think that would add a lot of value over the long term. Yeah, definitely. And, of course, you're in Red Lake. I mean, it's not as if you're in some remote area. You've all, all of the infrastructure you'd want to have, you could, could you, you would need to have. Uh, so that is a, a very big plus as well. And then, Chris, have you done any work at all on metallurgy? It's my understanding it's a relatively simple story, but I don't know. Have you done some work there on that? Yeah, in, in fact, it's quite simple here. Uh, effectively, it's visible gold and free gold. Uh, So the gold at some deposits, and it's something investors should be concerned with in some stories, is that they need to see if the gold can be actually extracted from the rock. It's possible in other uh, deposits around the world to drill off good gold numbers, but not to be able to free the gold from the rock at the end of the day when it comes to mining. Maybe you recover 60% of the gold or something like this in the Red Lake area, and I would expect this to be the case with ours because petrographically... Uh, it looks the same, and we've had independent workers doing this work. But in the Red Lake area, it's generally 95 96% recoveries of the gold. So basically, the gold, the gold values that you report are the gold values that you get back out at the end of the day during processing. And ours looks to be the same. And we're doing all this uh, metallurgical work now on the various zones. And the petrography, these are thin section views of the rock, shows that it's free gold in the rock. It's not encapsulated within sulfides or some other mechanism that makes it difficult to extract. Here, it looks like the gold will come out freely like it does in most of the other deposits in Red Lake. Tremendous. That's really terrific. Uh, uh, the story, it's just, it's hard to believe. Chris, almost everything seems to be going perfectly well, and it's hard to, it's hard to believe it because that's usually not the case in this industry. But just uh, with uh, about a minute left here then, uh, what should people be looking forward to I mean, I guess just constant drill results, right? How often do you put them out? Well, you know, unfortunately, the last week we've put out two results in one week. Uh, that's unusual. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a caveat. I know. that's unusual. But 
we should have fresh results out uh, roughly every two weeks to a month going forward for the next. Uh, to be frank with you, we have uh, enough money in the Treasury now, over $50 million Canadian, to keep drilling nonstop seven days a week, 24 hours a day for the next uh, two years. <laughs> so we should have regular steady streams of news coming out. And as we drill off the big grid, as we drill more on the Dixie Lynn and the Hing Zones, as we do regional exploration, it should be an exciting mix of that uh, continuity of the high-grade uh, story along the LP and also, uh, you know, the potential for other new things to come along. So I think it keeps it fresh and interesting for us as explorers and for our investor base as well as the project grows to fruition. Well, very good. Thank you so much uh, again for being with us, and um, it's always it's always a pleasure hearing the good news that you seem to have constantly. I, I'm waiting for a time when there's something negative, but uh, but let's not do that. We have enough negative stuff going along, going around here outside of the gold mining industry, that's for sure. So why do I look for negative stuff? Chris, thank you so much for being with us. It's always great, uh, and always uh, keep up the good work. That's all I can say. I'm really a very happy shareholder, and I'm sure a lot of my subscribers are too. So all the best to you and, and all the best to your company. And uh, thanks again. Well, folks, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. David McIlvaney will be with us, McIlvaney Financial Companies and McIlvaney Wealth Management. David will have some things to say about uh, the, uh, the markets, the, um, the really tumultuous markets that we're experiencing these days. Good for gold, uh, but not necessarily good for our spirits and our souls. So we're going to hear what David has to say. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSX and GTBDF on the OTCQX, is a gold exploration company focused on their 23-kilometer flagship Dixie project in the prolific Red Lake Mining District of Ontario. Having recently made multiple high-grade gold discoveries, GBR is fully funded to complete a very active 200,000-meter drill program through to the year 2021. Stay up to date on what's been considered one of the best-performing exploration stocks in the last two years by visiting greatbearresources.ca. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again David McIlvaney. David uh, is the president of the McIlvaney Financial Companies, McIlvaney Wealth Management, and ICA. That's a precious metals brokerage firm. And uh, you can, I guess the best place to go to is McIlvaneyICA.com. You can branch off into the other things that David provides, uh, wealth management, and one of my favorite services that he provides is a weekly podcast, McIlvaney Weekly Commentary, McIlvaneyWeeklyCommentary.com, 
uh, after the markets close at the end of the week, and it's a, a look at the uh, of all the well, not everything that took place, of course, but the major highlights in the markets uh, geopolitically, uh, politically, nationally, and uh, so obviously uh, David uh, and his host have had a lot to talk about recently, and I think a lot of very informational, a lot of very important information that you can obtain there in David's wisdom and years of market experience. Uh, could be very helpful to you, so I suggest you go there. But I would also, more than anything, like to suggest you go to davidmacalvaney.com to learn more about the personal side of David. And I, a, I, I gained a great deal of insight into the demi- multi-dimensional side of David reading his book, The International Legacy, a few years back. And not only uh, is uh, David uh, a very bright Oxford graduate, very articulate, as uh, those of you who have heard him before know, um, but there is a very lively, constructive, uplifting spiritual side of David that I think you can um, get a sense of if you go to McIlvaney.com. Uh, and if you pick up his book, um, I think it's very important, to the, intru- the intentional legacy. Uh, it's very important, and um, you know, we, rather than leaving things go on haphazard, but to have a plan, uh, and, uh, and David and I were just chatting a little bit before we started this Discussion. Uh, David said, "Everybody, uh, I think you quoted Mike Tyson saying, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face.' Well, I guess the real thing then is to, act, you know, to ask ourselves, how do we act once we get punched on the face? So maybe David can help us out with that. Thanks for joining me again, David. Hey, Jay, great to be with you again. It's always, um, it, yeah. This is this is certainly an interesting environment. There's a, there's a few more right and left hooks that seem to be." Flying, so maybe, maybe maybe we need to keep in mind Plan A and Plan B. Yeah, right and left hooks. I think you're right about that. Um, and I think what we want to do is find out how to navigate those right and left hooks. And I know you had some thoughts about that on your um, on your last uh, podcast last week. In fact, um, I, I listened to it. Um, so you know the national focus over the past couple of weeks has been since the since the wrongful death of uh, George Floyd by a white police officer. It's it's really opened up the racial wounds again that run so deep in this country since the days of slavery, of course. Um, but there seems to be anger that goes over and beyond that. And besides much of the activity that's taken place over the last over the last few days and weeks, suggests that people aren't really all that concerned about maybe some of the minorities, the black people and, and their lives, but rather there seems to be an underlying anger that is bubbling over. And I have to think that there's a lot more to it than not to, not to diminish the racial issue. I think that's a very important issue. But what are your thoughts, David? Why all of this enormous anger in our country? You know, I think whenever you're in a relationship and if you're talking about a community, a group of people or an individual when you experience something painful, sometimes that pain and the response that you have to it overwhelms everything else. And, you know, if you have an abrasion on your arm, 99% of your body may be fine, but that one factor may override everything. And, and the feelings associated with it can be very, very intense. And, yeah, what I see is a generation or multiple generations who have experienced undereducation and underemployment. They've not been factored into the great credit expansion and thus the asset price explosion over the last uh, you know, 40 
20-plus years. 1982 to the present, you've got the Dow and the S&P up 33 times. And if you didn't have excess savings to put into the market, you didn't see the benefits of an increase in personal wealth. So in that sense, you're talking about as a consequence of undereducation and underemployment and thus not enough capital to put out there, um, there wasn't a participation on the upside. So um, I, I get it that, that there's there's a lot of pain. I, I don't understand it directly because I'm not implicated. I, I you know only the person who's experienced a wound can really speak to uh, the pain and anger. Um, as a civil society, or there are limits to what can be expressed. Um, there has to be insofar as as you want to maintain civility and or society. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know how things are going in your part of Colorado, David. Have you seen some uprisings there, some looting and so forth in any of your, in Denver or any of the other cities that you're closer to? You know, we left Denver in 92, so we didn't have to deal with the jabs, the right and the left hooks. We're, we're now the only thing that you can do in terms of jabs is probably social media. We live in a small town in the mountains uh, by choice, and this was the foresight and wisdom of my father saying that, Perhaps in future days, this decision could save lives. And, you know, I, I look at the idea of, of being in a strong town, in a strong community, and think, this just makes sense. Would I want to be in a major city center today or living in, in suburbia? No, I, th- I think at this point, if I was living there, I would be organizing a new plan A uh, and you know, making a significant change. So I, I just I think I think we're living in a very interesting time, and in places where you can know your neighbors um, and 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 band together um, as as friends, even if you don't see things or the world the same way, uh, there's just there's a there's a there's a difference to a small town community, in my opinion. Yeah, well, there's no doubt about it. I mean, uh, Teresa and I live here in in Queens. Um, and not far away from a lot of the turmoil that's taken place and uh, a, a small group of Black Lives Matter. I think we're, we're planning a march around our, our uh, usually very peaceful park. And so it is, you know, it is certainly a thought. And, but obviously most people will still be living in cities. <clears throat> uh, my wife is a city girl. She loves the, uh, she, you know, she loves the cultural things that Manhattan has to offer. But these days, with COVID nineteen and all, we're not even not even enjoying those very much, and restaurants aren't aren't available and so forth yet either. So, uh, but but you know, living where we are, I think you know, how do you? Most people will be living in the cities. I think it's. it's I mean, I, we're seeing an exodus, no doubt about it. I think real estate prices have started to drop in Manhattan. Uh, at least the upper end of uh, prices have, and. So you have to think that there's probably going to be an exodus away from the cities as long as the turmoil continues. But uh, I guess the question is, you said you might have a plan B if you had to live in the city. Uh, do you have some ideas of what plan B might look like if you were forced into living in Queens where Teresa and I live? Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things that I gleaned from Barton Biggs' book, Wars, Wealth, and Wisdom, was this idea of having a place that you can get to, not three quarters of the way around the world um but but you know not too far away um where you can be sort of out of the maddening crowd Mm -hmm. and i do recommend the book it's it's kind of a a layman historian of course he was one of the chief economists at morgan stanley for years 
but you know, layman historians look at crisis and the aft- aftermath for asset classes. Mm-hmm. And you know, at one point in the book, he says it's it's kind of nice if you can close the front gate. In other words, having a few acres. Mm-hmm. Um, and make sure you've got a few shotgun shells and enough wine to just kind of sit things out. <laughs> and and I, you know, I mean, there's there's kind of a a middle point between the 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 prepper idea of prepare for the end of the world and um, living a fairly normal life on your own terms, just with enough space to where you don't have to stand in lines with 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 angry and frustrated people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the beautiful thing about crisis is if you look at the last 100 years or 200 years, every crisis uh, was defined by a very short period of time. Whether it was days, weeks, months, or years, it didn't go on. None of them went on indefinitely. Mm-hmm. So it begins and it ends. And we're somewhere in between right now with this little crisis. Right. And the name of that book was Wars. What was it from Barton Bakes? It was Wars. Yeah, Wars, Wealth, and Wisdom, uh-huh. although you might switch those around, but Barton yeah. Biggs, if you search it, you'll be able to yeah. find it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm wondering what you and, and Doug Nolan and, and the rest of your professionals there uh, in the wealth management team are looking, how, how you're viewing these markets. I mean, it's just, uh, I can't remember a yeah. time, and I'm a lot older than you, David. I'm closer to your father's age. I remember very well the 1960s as a young person, what was going on there with the uh, cities burning across the country it happened um, and but this seems to be a stage beyond perhaps I, I hope not but it, it does seem to be very frightening uh, so you know I'm wondering wh- how you're seeing this economy emerging I think I saw somewhere on the on the internet that you were looking for or maybe you and Doug were, were predicting something like 15,000 on the Dow and as I look at it now that that would be a, another 10,000 points lower uh, that certainly would uh, would, uh, would unnerve a lot of those people at the upper end of the uh, income scale, wouldn't it? Sure, it would. And I think you know, if, if you're looking for good sources of weekly conversation and data, um, if you go to our website, the wealth management website, mwealthm.com, we've got the credit bubble bulletin put out by Doug. We've got the hard asset insights, which is a one-page summary uh, for for hard asset investors. Um, and then my podcast. So great resources to, to tap into there. You know, when we look at the markets today, um, we see the same kind of um, set aside. There's really no concern with risk as long as you have the Federal Reserve backstepping all asset classes. So we're, we're back to levels that we saw in February. Um, if you're looking at sort of internal dynamics in the credit markets, if you're looking at credit default swap spreads, if you're looking at all kinds of things that would indicate to us, you know, a real, again, level of complacency. And I think people would say, no, we're fully engaged. We just understand the implications of central bank money printing. Mm-hmm. And, and I would just have to say, if you understand the implications of central bank money printing, you may have peace and calm in the stock markets going forward. A bought price, not a real price, um, mm-hmm. but a supported price by the central bank. To do that is going to cost you something in the credit markets and in the currency markets. So my my suspicion is that in 2020 and 2021, 
um, give us a transition to a new understanding of risk in the dollar market. And, you know, do I think that's going to be positive for gold and silver? I do. Do I think it's going to be positive for anything of a tangible nature? Uh, yeah, I, I do. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, that's kind of where we would say, look, if they can buy stability, there is a cost to everything. And, and the cost will show up uh, with, with, vo- with a lot of volatility in, in the monetary arena, in, 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 the, in the currency arena. So, so your outlook, uh, yours and Doug's outlook for interest rates, uh, artificial as they are, would be continually low. And do you see any any prospects of that of market forces overwhelming the Fed anytime soon? Yeah, I think that's the real tug of war, Jay. Is you've got the the market forces, which would over time argue that you've compromised on credit quality, and there's consequences to that. Uh, on the other hand, you have a free pass with the central bank's balance sheet being used to mop up any mess that's out there. We've seen that with the high-grade market. We've seen that with the investment-grade market. Uh, that I said high-grade. I meant high-yield. Mm-hmm. Um, high-yield is, is the new euphemism, I'm sure you know, for junk bonds. And you know when the government steps in, the Fed rather steps in and starts buying that paper, um, is it any surprise to see you know, uh, an, an unusual pricing dynamic? And that's what we have. If people are willing to play that game, that's fine. People are also willing to play that game right now. It looks like there's strong interest to buy a billion dollars worth of stock for, for Hertz. Hertz yeah. has already been declared bankrupt. <laughs> they've been declared bankrupt. We know that the value, given that they've got $18 billion in debt, uh, the odds of the equity owner coming out with anything are, are, are next to nothing. And yet people are willing to put an extra billion dollars in just to kind of day trade their way towards nirvana. This is a bad idea. This is a very bad idea. And ignoring risk, uh, you can do it for a period of time. But ultimately, there is a piper to be paid, whether it's Hertz, whether it's the S&P 500, whether it's the Dow. And yeah, we, we think, you know, Dow 14, 15,000, what that reflects is a correction of the excesses in the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, will there be a concerted effort to keep it from getting there? Well, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we don't. Maybe we don't get to a point where we see natural pricing again. And again, I think if the Fed wins, we all lose because the value of the dollar will be in the toilet. That's the consequence. The Fed wins, we all lose. Yeah, the value of the dollar actually is something I wanted to ask you about because uh, speaking of uh, Morgan Stanley, um, we saw Stephen Roach write something last week, or I think it was just last week. uh, His concern about the direction of America geopolitically and financially, and I know that you've never been a big believer, at least not in recent years, about the demise of the dollar as the world's reserve currency. And I'm not sure that Stephen Roach was necessarily saying that. I think he talked about a 35% decline in uh, in the dollar index, which is not the end of the world. I think maybe back to levels where we were a few years back. So that certainly doesn't suggest that the dollar is toast as far as uh, as far as the world's reserve currency goes. But what are your thoughts about the dollar now? And certainly uh, we know that gold maybe doesn't change in terms of its purchasing power over long periods of time, but relative to currencies that are debasing, gold rises, and that's the way you preserve your wealth. But but in terms of the geopolitics, because it seems to me, David, what's going on now, all of the things that are going on internally in America, China and other countries are not, they're very much aware of it, and they're using it for propaganda purposes or whatever. But just what are your, your thoughts and maybe Doug's thoughts about about the dollar right now? 
for his stance. Yeah, I, you know, I think Stephen Roach is a really sharp guy, and he is looking at sort of losing um, some some clout in the in the international universe. And obviously, with, with trade war with China, we, we've we've kind of diminished the role of petrodollar recycling. With a trade war with China, we're also diminishing the role of of trade dollar uh, recycling with the Chinese. And so, in terms of external financing sources for our debt. Uh, that's a real issue going forward. If we're just going to do the MMT thing and internally finance, uh, that's fine. You can try that. Um, it's been tried before, and, and, and the consequences were pretty dire. Um, you know, loss of purchasing power on a grand scale. And so do, do I think the dollar goes down significantly? I, th- I think that's very reasonable. Um, do we lose reserve currency status? Have to have a replacement to, to take its place. The euro can't do it. Uh, the RMB is is nowhere near ready, uh, and there's not a depth of capital markets developed there as of yet. So you know, by default we win, and and it's kind of the old cleanest dirty shirt argument, or as, as Ian McAvity used to say, best looking horse in the glue factory. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that you're on a great path. It just means that you're kind of better than the rest on a relative basis. That kind of stinks. Uh, on an absolute basis, it stinks. On a relative basis, we're just a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean for gold? I, I do think that we take out the old highs pretty quickly, and, um, and and eventually, when there is some inflation concern, then silver starts to close the gap. There's a huge gap, and it's been telling you um, for a couple years now um, that there's there's not going to be a lot of inflation. Um, now, I think you know between the manipulations of CPI, PPI, PCE, and all their measures of chained and unchained for inflation metrics. Um, you know, you, you're just going to have to look around and say, does it exist or does it not exist? And I think that's where Stephen Roach and a bunch of really sharp guys who've left Wall Street, he's now teaching economics at Yale, mm-hmm. um, and a bunch of guys who, who retired from hedge fund management and are just running their own books, they'd look at it and say, yeah, you better own gold in here. You mm-hmm. better own gold in here because you can't do this job with trillions of dollars and um, – <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if they're playing defense or playing offense, honestly, because some uh-huh. of the hedge fund guys that are interested, they really are only in for fun and profits. So I, I don't know what the best way of looking at it is. I tend to look at gold as insurance, mm-hmm. um, but I think the price increase could be considerable mm-hmm. um, give, given a 24 to 36-month time frame. It might even be a game-changing for personal finances. Yeah, it, it really could be. I'm, I'm wondering, uh, you know, if we, if we get – so far, the money, it goes into the banking system to a great extent. I mean, we have the repo issues and the Fed. And as a matter of fact, I, I think I read last week that the Fed is actually upping the amount of money it's pumping into the system to keep the repo market from uh, from, from collapsing again. And so you have money going into the banking system. And again, as you said earlier, you know, the masses of people are not really benefiting from it. They're not, they're not really... Uh, participating in the wealth that's being created, sort of redistribution of wealth to the people that are closest to the feeding trough. And I'm just wondering um, uh, if, if, you know, to the extent that we might get helicopter money or more of the same, you know, $1,200 checks into everybody's bank account, uh, do you see that coming? And if so, do you think that could finally, at some point in time, start monetary velocity picking up? Because I think one of the things that's happening is, you know, people with money, uh, they're just they're pumping it into financial assets and getting richer and richer. And the people that are living one paycheck to the next, 
um, you know, they're, they're having a really hard time now with all of the unemployment and everything. And so do you expect that we're going to see more helicopter money, more money put directly into the people's hands? And if so, might that be something that starts to trigger velocity? Or are people in such dire straits, say average, below average, you know, middle class and lower, uh, lower middle class and so forth, that they don't have enough money to spend even if the restaurants were open to go places. And so they're just, whatever they get, they'll just sit on and hope to pay their rent next month. You know, it's interesting to watch the number of small-time investors hit Robinhood and yeah. start speculating in penny stocks. You know, that that's kind of, you know, are people being cautious and saving money, you know, hoping that they can pay rent? Uh, there's a real speculative mood out there, and I don't quite get it. Um, because you know we, we are somewhere between a major recession and a depression in terms mm-hmm. of the economic consequences of shutdown, and yeah, I do think you're right. Fiscal spending is going to be uh, the order of the day. Um, look at education. Look at education reform. They'll 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 come out with and trump up, uh, no pun intended, for all kinds of reasons to spend money. And, you know, I, I think when when I think one of the latest latest tweets from Trump was, again, criticizing Jerome Powell and and, uh, you know, not doing enough and, and whatnot. Um, and lo and behold, this week is, is one of those weeks where it, it, I guess last week, pretty thin Fed balance sheet grew three point seven one billion. <laughs> so they basically turned off the tab. Uh, in terms of Fed asset monetization. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the lowest numbers. That's the least amount of Fed asset monetization since February. So if if Trump and company don't get enough juice from the Fed, will they be putting political pressure on to spend more money, send out more checks, et cetera, et cetera? Absolutely they will. And you're right. Velocity is a really interesting thing. Velocity has been lower and lower. Even though they've created money, it's flown into the asset markets and not into the economy. Mm-hmm. So we haven't seen a pickup in inflation. And now I think we are looking at uh, velocity uh, potentially picking up in a major way. Where velocity picks up and then goes into hyperdrive is when a psychological event occurs mm-hmm. where the average investor begins to anticipate inflation at higher levels and they change their investment and they change their uh, consumption patterns. And so that's where the Fed wants to play the game of, look, we're going to keep raising the inflation target, but oh, we fail, oh, we fail, oh, we fail, hmm. to, to make sure that nobody gets panicked, nobody gets concerned about inflation, and all of a sudden treats bonds like the toxic paper they are. Um, so it's an interesting dance they've got, mm-hmm. create inflation, pretend like the problem is deflation, mm-hmm. uh, and of course there's the potential for asset price deflation because of so much debt in the system. Um, but the short answer to your question is fiscal spending. You betcha. Another trillion between now and the year. Uh, that that that's easy. Maybe two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A, a trillion here, a trillion there, and pretty soon it becomes real money. I think it was uh, Senator Dirksen years ago that I think he used the B word instead of the C word to, to make that statement. But here we are. Um, well, I'm just wondering then, in terms of wealth management, you have. Uh, maybe you just talk a little bit about what wealth management does and and who that service is for. I think you're probably looking at people, you know, upper middle upper middle class people at least, people that have, can put in a fair amount of money because otherwise it, it doesn't work. The economics don't work too well, probably. But yeah, what are you doing at wealth management? And and you know, to what extent are you putting money into equities into you know big name 
mainstream equities, and to what extent are you putting into gold stocks or gold bullion, or or what? Do you, how are you doing things? And I know that Doug Nolan plays a big role in uh, in your thinking there uh, at Wealth Management. Yeah, a couple of key people in the team, um, Lila Murphy. Uh, does a lot of fundamental analysis for us on specific companies within the hard asset space. And for us, hard assets are made up of infrastructure, real estate, global natural resources, and precious metals. And so those four categories give us a broader definition and greater diversification. We'll want 25 to 40 names with a focus on income generation. And, you know, our basic assumption is that there is a consequence to money printing and that real assets, things that have an intrinsic tangible value, that makes more sense. So infrastructure could be everything from, you know, water utilities to cell phone towers. Real estate has got to be specialty niche. Uh, we're not interested in, the, uh, remarkably, uh, not surprisingly, but the, our real estate uh, portfolio has done pretty well. Uh, even even through this whole COVID thing because of its unique supply and demand dynamics. What we do to, to mitigate risk, Jay, is is look at the, the macro environment, and, and Doug participates on that on a, on, a, on a biweekly basis when we do our calls, to look at where there could be emergent weakness. And if necessary, we'll just start increasing cash positions. So, you know, for us, March was not a bad period of time. We had... Starting in September and with the changes in the repo market, concerns you mentioned earlier, um, we take those to heart and started raising cash. So we were already at a 40% cash position mm. by the time we had the sell-off in March. And it, I just got to tell you, it's, it's nice not having to dig yourself out of a very deep hole. Yeah. You know, what money you lose in a, in a, in a, in a grand market sell-off, um, very easy to put back when, when it's a shallow, shallow correction all things considered because of our cash positions. New accounts coming in, we were at an 80% cash position, so very cautious and able to put some of that money to work at much lower levels. So uh, we're hands-on folks, and you know nothing's delegated out. Um, we've got a great research team, a great, great trading team. And so to be able to put that together, um, it's I think it's compelling because it's not, you know, there's a lot of things we say no to. Um, you know, just because, frankly... I, it's not in our wheelhouse. Not that it's not a great and interesting idea. We'll miss out on opportunities like Netflix or opportunities like Tesla, if you think that's an opportunity. Uh -huh. um, we want real things. We want real things that pay us to wait. And if we can have real things that pay us to wait, we think in the fullness of time, we get paid handsomely, not only on the income side, but also on the cap gain side. That's actually where I think the precious metals mining shares factor in on the capital gain side. Uh, I think, you know, relative to bullion and relative to uh, the stock market in general, you're, you're looking at an area that's underappreciated, um, underowned, and I think has some very exciting uh, months, quarters, and years ahead. Mm -hmm. I uh, I think you're right about that, David. Well, I just I think that it's wealth. Uh, your wealth management team uh, and your philosophy in general. I think you have a great balance between uh, you know the extremes, a good balance. Uh, and certainly, I've known Doug Nolan for quite a few years when he was with David Tice years ago, and um, a really strong, a really strong analyst, and and very much aware of the credit aspects and the dangers in the markets. That uh, certainly was a a coup, I think, for you to bring him on. I, I think that's really great. Uh, anything else? Any words of encouragement you might be able to offer our listeners in, in a time when, you know, a lot of people are down in the dumps? 
Yeah, you know, I think it's it's very easy to lose a, a future focus and forget that whatever the crisis may be, whether it's uh, COVID or some some you know gathering crowds in the streets, um, these things do pass. And so, is there something that you can do in your life that keeps you both other centered and future focused? And that's where I would say, you know, devising a, a short list of of goals and expectations. You know, I, I realize it's odd coming into the middle of the year to think about what you want to do as a New Year's resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a lot of power internally, emotionally, and psychologically when you can say, I'm setting out to do X, Y, and Z, and then on a daily basis be able to tick off and make some progress towards that. There's so many things in the context of COVID that you're not in control of. Do something simple that you are in control mm-hmm. of. It may be you know, writing one page a day in a journal. It could be reading 25 pages a day, more than you ordinarily do, just something, something that you say, this I've done, this I've accomplished, that's the box that I check for now. And I, I, th- I think you're right. There's a lot of people under pressure and a lot of people experiencing near despair just because life is not normal. It's okay for life to not be normal. Remember that crisis always passes. And if you can keep your future focus and, and, and if you can create your own, I realize it's an arbitrary sense of accomplishment, but it is so healthy, so healthy for your brain chemistry. And uh, I do that via uh, triathlon training, uh, as silly as that may seem, um, but it's a great outlet. And you can do that from reading to crossword puzzles to you name it. Oh, absolutely. Very good advice. A little less television and a little more reading or activity that you yourself are taking place of. Uh, in to uh, uh, to have a sense of achievement and uh, and of course I know that you're very big in terms of interpersonal relationships and forgiving and and uh, and seeking dialogue with people you might have differences with all a lot of that you talk about on your on your weekly shows as well so thanks so much uh, for being with us again David it's always refreshing to have you with us and uh, we'll look to do it again sometime I hope in the not too distant future. Jay, thanks for the invite. Great to be back with you again. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Well, that is it for this week, folks. Next week, Michael Oliver will be with me. Ivan Bebek of Oren and uh, Bob Moriarty will be my guests. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Oren Resources is an exploration company defined by its aggressive ambition to find the world's largest mines. Oren has raised over $100 million in this effort and believes it is on to three major discoveries at its projects in Canada and Peru. This year, Oren plans to drill Sombrero, where targets have analogous features to the 10th largest copper mine globally. The company also plans to drill its other substantial base and precious metal opportunities that management believes will be complemented by the strongest bull market in commodities over the last 50 years. Visit AURYNResources.com and subscribe to keep up with the busy year ahead.